and welcome to The Turning Point, a weekly show that's being created to help you overcome the challenges of having the career you always dreamed of. Together, we're going to be learning how to overcome those obstacles that may stand in your way. My guests will give you an insight into their own turning point and what issues they came across when starting their journey to a happier working life. Today's guest is Radim Malinic, who's the creative director and designer who's living and working in Southwest London. He runs Brand New, which is a multidisciplinary award-winning studio, and they've got kick-ass t-shirts. I actually own one myself. So, Radim, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hi, 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 and hi, and hi. <laughs> Sound like a child, but yeah, hello. Thanks. So we've done a, we've done a bit of a, a bit of a catch up, and uh, we're going to crack on. So I guess the best place to start is the start. I guess. So, so, so what start. led you to down this path of getting to where you are today? Wow, yeah, it's quite a sort of long winded path because sometimes when I when I go to design conferences, as you know, people sort of wake up on the first, fourth birthday and they go like, "Mother." I'll be an illustrator, you know. I like these pencils. <laughs> give me more paper. <laughs> give me more paper. You know, this is what I'll do. And I kind of always, you know, like, I just, I always get a bit jealous because they've saved so much of their time knowing what they wanted to do. And they seem to be very content. Like, illustrators, like a career illustrator, seem to be so happy and content. Like, yeah, that's what I wanted. That's what I am. And I wanted to fly to the moon, I remember, on my fourth, fourth birthday. I was like, I wanted to be a, an astronaut. Definitely. I, yeah. I always want to be a race car driver. Yeah. Wow. That's that's pretty cool. I think I was quite I quite like bikes. You know, like really power bikes. I think that I like that when in sort of early age. Because one go on a motorbike, crash it, and hurt myself. Yeah. A good amount, and then never go back on. Yeah, something happened in my life because I actually I never even I, I'm still well. I'm just about to finish my driving license. And I'm, oh really? And I'm 38. I just never like there was a point in my life when I just I thought. I really like cars, and then all of a sudden, I just didn't like cars for a very long time. Or any forms of tra- transport, it would be manned by me. But uh, yeah, so I remember I wanted to be an astronaut, and um, then I was quite, I mean, I'm from Czech Republic, so we've got our national sport, it's not football, but it's ice hockey. So I one day just decided that I'll go and be an ice hockey player. And I was. Was that just because it was? Uh, it was it was on the telly quite a lot, and you get like as a sort of toys, you know, like a table. You can get like a table, what instead of table football, you can get a table ice hockey, and it was quite. It's quite prominent, you know. People get quite obsessive. I think I think after Canadians, we are like the second most obsessive about ice hockey ever in uh, in the world, and we get we're quite good at it. So obviously, when you see, when you see your team doing quite well, you um, get inspired. So I remember I wanted to play ice hockey, but it was obviously one problem: I could not ice skate. But How old were you at this time? I think I was seven. I think I was seven, yeah, maybe even six. And I asked my stepdad to take me to the sort of open day. And they're like, yeah, you want to play? Good. Can you ice skate? So you went to an open day for a hockey team, an ice hockey team, without being able to ice skate? Exactly. I went in there and they're like, that's okay. You'll learn. You've got time. You know, they'd expect, you know, like Wayne Gretzky <laughs> to, to drop in and like, oh, right, a prodigy child. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, that was interesting. So I was learning to ice skate for a while and joined the team and played it for like eight years until I discovered uh, lots of, you no. Know, I think it was a Metallica and Hendrix and that sort of music, like just basically rock and roll, drugs, not necessarily drugs, but rock and roll, beer, fags, you know, just kind of like the early teenage life and peer pressure. And you go like, yeah, I quite like this. This is quite fun. And um, yeah, that kind of led me over straight and narrow into a slightly more <laughs> disobedient life. 
So as I was enjoying the music quite a lot, I decided to form a band with some of my mates. Again, got instruments, but I couldn't really play it. But when you try to play lots of noise, not knowing how to play is quite useful, you know? It's quite like, yeah, no, you don't really care because it sounds like it should sound like a lot of noise. And um, yeah, that was fun. And uh, then we got a little bit better and we got lots of, lots of gigs and we changed the formation of the band quite a lot. And I say then we mellowed out a little bit and we started playing grunge. And I, um, after one of our gigs, I had just a, literally like a handful of CDs. And I went to the DJ booth of the club and I said, hey, is it all right if I play some music? I wasn't particularly enjoying what they were playing. The guy said, yeah, give it a go. And I did. And people started dancing and it was, it was quite a lot of fun. And the guy said, hey, do you want to come on next Saturday? I'm like, that would be fun. And it was literally like, I had never stepped in a DJ booth before. I was just a little bit arrogant. And I just said, hey, I don't like the music you're playing. I want you to, you know, listen to my stuff because I think I've got a better taste. <laughs> and and I once did something very similar at a club in in, in Barnsley where we live. Hmm. And we were in, in this in this bar and we listened to a lot, I mean a lot of eighties rock music. <laughs> um, and, the, and this bar plays a few it plays a variation of music, but well, like, come on, we, we need something a bit better. Let's just go and ask him if he's got this song. And we asked him if he if he got a few songs. He did, and so he did, and he didn't. And I said, actually, I've got all these songs on my phone. Do you want to just plug it? I've got like an eighties awesome playlist. Yeah, like just plug that in Spotify. Left my phone plugged in. I mean, there's there's like sixteen hours worth of music on this one playlist. It's bitching. Amazing. And he just played it, and he begged us not to go at the end of the day. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I like when that happens. But well, obviously, luckily for me, back at that time, well, I say luckily. I mean, it was it was very manual. I mean, these days, yeah, you can absolutely you can just put Spotify playlists together, and and just just rock it. Uh, when you think about like, I think there was a movie Kill Kill Your Friends. It came out recently, and he said, "Oh, the soundtrack is the best since Train Spotting," and I'm thinking, really? Does anyone still give a shit about soundtracks? Like. You can do any playlist of any music at any time on your own and you can share it with your friends and you can actually make it your own, make it quite personal. Mm. And I just didn't think that putting Stone Roses and Chemical Brothers and something else on, on one CD is anything revolutionary anymore because we got such bigger access to everything. So back in my time, which is 20 years ago, which makes me quite sound quite, sound quite old, but I was a teenage DJ and... I was realizing at that point that I wasn't just a one style person or just a one thing. And you know, I didn't subscribe just to one movement and kind of went with it. You know, there was at that time, and I'm still now, you know, you get emo kids, you got, you know, progressive, you get punks, you get this and that. And they kind of, they really stayed in their sort of fenced, you know, high fenced secluded zone because they don't like sort of cross polluting. They don't like you know, each other's idea or philosophy. Whereas I was just absolutely mesmerized by the music that was coming out at that time, you know, so it could be a massive attack and Portis Head, or I was fans of, um, I'm still fans of I Mother Earth, which is Canadian prog rock, you know, it's just, it could be absolutely anything. I was dipping my toes into sort of drum and bass scene and, and jungle, which was absolutely amazing at the time. And it was all of these sort of quite eclectic influences that kind of made me who I am today because I was just never really sh- kind of shy away from kind of exploring things, you know, and that's, Kind of went with everything, especially like when it came to getting some jobs in the summer, like when the club was closed. I did everything from being a driver's made for Coca-Cola to try to work on a building site. I mean, I just, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was having fun. And I'm quite glad that I wasn't 
really sure what I wanted to do because it was quite nice to be exploring for a while, you know? It's just, just yeah. kind of like heading somewhere, not necessarily nowhere, because luckily I didn't have pushy parents who would be telling me like, oh, you have to become this and that by the age of 15 or 20 or 25, you know? They were like, whatever you want to do, do it, you know? So that was very helpful. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people um, who kind of just ignore ignore all that kind of stuff that they did when they were younger. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so the people who did had, had that lifestyle and then they'll have just gotten to a certain age and went, right, serious, need job. Yeah, I've just... Yeah, I just so feel they kind like, of lose a lot, a lot of the character that they've built upon for themselves when they've been growing up. I think there's... there's I mean, when you, you don't have to look anywhere far on the internet when people say, follow your dreams and do this and that. And you realise, like, for example with the band or DJing and stuff, I kind of like, you, you, you achieve your dream very quickly. You know, I wanted to DJ somewhere in the back of my mind. I end up DJing for one of my best part of 10 years. And, and I was, I was okay at everything. I was never, obviously if I was an amazing DJ, I would be talking to you as a DJ today, not, not as a designer. Or I would be, you know, talking to you as an ice hockey player. I was, it was okay just to be something, but I am, um, I can totally lost my fucking thread. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fuck, as this is a sleepiness. You were saying now you you got very sort of laid back parents to let you do what you want to do, but you were always doing. Yeah, stuff. so so you don't have to go too far on the internet to sort of see all these quotes like follow your dreams and do this and do that. But when you when you make your dream happen, then you have to have another dream. You know, it just feels like you have to constantly refill and do something again. Whereas if you start exploring things and kind of take it really easy and slow, like it was, well, it's not necessarily easy and slow, but if you kind of, if you keep being intriguing about everything, your dream changes. It's just not just one thing. It's just like that, that whole aim and that journey kind of keeps constantly going because you never know what you might find. And I feel it's when you're not fixated on one particular thing, when you just kind of follow your sort of philosophies, then it's, it's much more fun because it, you don't feel like, okay, I've achieved everything by the age of 20. What next? You know? Yeah, so, exactly what you mean. So it just kind of, I'm sure you guys find it, or, or, or not me personally, just find it with client work. You know, everyone, like, there's so many glory hunters in the industry. And once you work for Nike twice or five times, what do you do again? Just work for Nike again. You know, it's just, it just feels like, kind of like just someone pops your balloon. Just like, it's just like, oh, right, okay, so that's done. What next, you know? Yeah. And you can be like three years into your career. I'm like, well, I've got a client list from heaven but I kind of feel like I've achieved everything and that just that almost feels kind of deflating because... Yeah, you're just hitting the plateau. Yeah, because it's just like, what's next? What's next? And there is certain, there, there's kind of a ceiling to everything, you know. It's, the reason why you can carry on is because you kind of, you don't always aim for the ceiling and you kind of just kind of spread yourself further further apart, further wide. Yeah, I mean, in using it, the, the sort of creative engine, what you were just talking about there as an example is that whether it's whether it's the like the best client the best company in the world or everybody looks at or just yours but it's, it's, it's you, when you hit that plateau mm. it's, you've got to try and do diff, like through the art of doing yeah you've got to figure out the next place you want to go uh, and that could just be the, a, a different style using different techniques different things to help you change how your work is created or perceived and things like that but there's always ways you've always got to adapt to everything because you can't you can't stay on the same route forever because it's, it is like it's, it's like, not saying it's not it's not say it's not never ending but 
in your mind, you should hit the goals. And like you said, once you get there, Absolutely. it can be a bit deflated. I, I just feel like things should be surprising. Like it's, it's not when you think of like what makes us really interested. It's not something which is necessarily the best. It's something that surprises you. Something that makes you think. Something that you know it just stops you in your tracks, thinking, "Well, that switches off my autopilot, and I'm actually I'm paying attention." Yeah. Because there's so. I mean, how much work must be created just purely? I mean, when you look at it, like it's just. We recycle, of basically, we are the, so like the seventh generation of recycling of, of ideas or tenth generation of recycling design ideas. And it totally makes me question some of the techniques and some, some of the tactics that people use online in their work because they, let's say, create, like you mentioned, for example, 80s. Like, okay, so people create the 80s aesthetic or 70s aesthetic with tools from 2017. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, if you're creating that, create, just use those, that generation tools rather than replicating something because all you're doing you just can't you don't necessarily progress in any way it's just that is just it you know it just i just feel like not even plateau it just feels stagnant and kind of feels backwards yeah because already creating you've got much better high-tech tools for creating things that people created with a lot and not a lot less sophisticated tools <laughs> and all you're doing is just kind of recreating you know, just you know, like, you know, like people pre-create screen print techniques and photoshop and this and that like why don't we try to actually do something which pushes the envelope, like built on top of it, and then see where we can well, where we can take it? So, yeah, I agree because we we do that. I mean, using that example, think of tech. Mm. Like everything goes on the top of the of the last thing. Yeah. Like think of it as well. This is really icky. Like RAM, random access memory. That when there was when it was two hundred fifty six meg, it was then it was five twelve, and then it was a gig and things like that. And that's it's the same sort of stuff, just more advanced. So hmm. why why can't we do that sort of thing? Like learn and then apply and develop. Exactly. Yeah. No. I just I just feel I just I just like that sort of element of surprise. So when, for example, when you get musicians and they go they get following, and then people are like, as a musician, for example, you and I we are both friends. Oh, friends. I, I wish we were friends of Incubus. We are both fans of Incubus. And the number of changes stylistically and directionally they've made to keep them afresh, not to just yeah. you've got to keep them even just be happy to be existing. And and I just totally appreciate it because of, you and I, we've both grown up with the band and we know what it means to us. And you kind of, you're dipping into each sort of era or a part of their career with very much lots of joy. And you're kind of thankful that they have changed and they evolved and that they've done something quite interesting with their career. Because, scared. yeah, because I, I don't want to be, I mean, as much as I like science and, you know, the first EP, I, I wouldn't be able to listen to seven or eight albums of that, even as much as great they are. Yeah. You kind of, you want that sort of, that, that, that eclecticness, that sort of, that intrigue and, and artistic progression. And yeah, I mean, it's just you know, very few artists that stayed stagnant to, to their careers or that kind of stayed true to their very first aesthetic have survived because... You need somewhere new to go to keep yourself happy, to keep yourself interested and kind of just explore other things because it's like cooking the same recipe over and over again, you know. You like roast dinners, but only once a week and you always cook it differently every time you cook it, you know. So, yeah, it's just, I just, I just can't believe in, I can't believe, I can't, I can't really do stagnant. I can't, I just, I just feel very fidgety and just like, okay, what's next? What's, what's, what's the other thing, you know? How, how do you sort of, Try and action all of that. What? How do you? What do you treat as an outlet to just try and not stay stagnant? So when you think, do you do you get to a point where you just start to think, this feels familiar, 
and then you just think, right, yeah, play the decks, do something completely different. How do you, how do you go about that? It's definitely like I've got a very inquisitive sort of approach to designing. I mean, I'm really lucky that what I do in the way I do it, it's, it gives me lots of freedom, lots of, all sorts of time. So I don't. We are actually we are. We should probably just take a few steps back because we went from. Like music to DJ in like yeah, early twenties, right. and then miss a bit. So yeah, you're right. Actually, so yeah. So today, um, as, you, as you sort of introduced me, I'm creative director of my own company, and I work with sort of a group of freelancers and sort of uh, external talent on delivering briefs for my clients of all sorts of sizes and profiles, from high, you know, high corporate clients to charities to brands of the future, which is my term for startups. But um, yeah, it wasn't always so, and <laughs> I kind of I feel like that sort of when I think when we ended up on DJing, that was let's say technically ten years ago, and, and I've been in in the, in the design industry for about like, just over a decade, from about 2014, 2013, where um, yeah, I um, between 2004 2003. Jesus, yeah, I can't even count. <laughs> that's not a long career. It's only three, four years. That's three years. Yeah, no, sorry. So just to scale it back. So uh, after Isaki, I did DJing. So after Isaki, did a band and DJing. And then I uh, was just in my early 20s and I just decided that I wanted to do something elsewhere. Or I just wanted to kind of see the world because I was living in Czech Republic and the repetition was crawling in, you know. The same thing, it was easy and I wanted somewhere else. So... I could speak English for a little bit. Uh, just I thought I could speak great English, but turned out when I came to England, just to do some record shopping and just get my head around the music scene because I just loved everything that came out of England, especially like labels like Ninja Tune and, and um, what do you call it, the Goalies label. What was it? Metalheads. You know, just eclectic taste. I just yeah, I just kind of came to follow the music and I realised that as actually is the graphic design that's more interesting to me than the music itself um, I through being in a band and being DJ back home I was trying to sort of play the choral draw and did some sort of gig posters and demo tape choral draw, choral draw. we going really back down you know <laughs> down down the memory path um, I had some bits of knowledge that I could use and when it came to really sort of thinking what I might be wanting to do in life it kind of all came together through music and through bits, bits of design I am um, I saw an ad in a t-shirt printing shop. So I used to live in Southampton and um, in Hampshire and I had totally zero plans. I was just hanging out with my new friends. I was drinking a lot, you know, I was having lots of parties, going to every festival and every gig I could go to. And as much fun as I had, I knew that a change should be afoot. I just... You know, like too much, not too much of one thing is never really going to last for too long. <laughs> and as as exhilarating as it all was, I kind of knew I was putting together that sort of those pieces of jigsaw puzzle, you know, together. And so something was kind of shaping in front of me. So I was lucky because I started from the very, very bottom of the pile. I mean, a, a printing shop on the corner of a sort of local street. Is never going to be about sort of DNAD, no, award-winning work. But no. but I, I was I was armed with very little. I didn't know too much, and I was ready to learn everything. And I remember a guy. I think on a day one, he's like, "Okay, so you got a job, okay? 
So he started, I was only doing like four hours a day at first, which was great. And he says, right, put this in the, in, in the middle of the page, print it out. And of course, what you do as a, someone who doesn't know much about design, you just kind of, you just like, you t take over the mouse and you just kind of try to place things in the middle of the page. And he's like, no, there's dimensions. You have to put everything down. And I'm like, oh, right, okay, okay. And things like that from day one were so magical because he was explaining, it was explained to me design from a very bad aesthetics point of view. But very functionally, like he was very much about paper sizes, but all sorts of things that were very functional. And that proved to be very, very important because you don't necessarily see design as something, let's just think of a beauty, it's functional, you know, design, design has to be used, it has to work, it has to have the right edges and the right size. And yeah, he, um, he gave me, that, that was quite useful, but he also followed up with a very unuseful <laughs> quote afterwards saying, what are you doing? Just uh, making it look pretty when I was doing someone design, someone's design for a happy birthday t-shirt. And he's like, stop it. <laughs> Don't make it look good. People didn't pay enough for this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, speaking of turning points, you know, this is definitely one of the uh, many turning points at, of that time because I was like, fuck this guy. I really want to do good stuff in my life. And I can't be sat in a, in a, a local print shop doing a really crappy work. I want to do something which will actually, you know, could bear some value and some longevity. So, yeah, I was freelancing at, at the same time. I was kind of sort of getting my head around sort of client work and... Are you still learning while you were doing still it? Still very much learning, but I was lucky to get a gig with a local sort of jazz soul venue. And I was doing posters for £50 a pop, which obviously doesn't seem like a lot of money, but when you don't really know any better and you don't and can't be spoiled for choice, I was absolutely living it up. It was, I was so in love with doing those posters. I was just like exploring things, just try every single experiment. I was just, it was just, and I, was, I knew very little, so I was not as if I was doing something high tech. Have you still got them? Ah, uh, I wish I did. I was trying to find the very first poster I did. And they were like, okay, so we've got this um, jazz, um, jazz guitarist called Cameron Pierre. And we want a poster for it. Like, can you do us a test? And of course, like, I wasn't really sure what to do. I mean, they had an in-house designer before me who was really good. Like, it was quite sort of advanced in Photoshop. And I'm like, uh, I've got no fucking clue what to do. So I was just browsing things and kind of getting some ideas from like stock photo books at that time. There was no ice stock before. And, and I decided to scan a photo of a strawberry. <laughs> that was the first poster. I just put a type on it. I put a strawberry on it. And they're like, and you know that 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 sort of that time, that sort of emotional lull begins. You know when you send something off, which is based on purely on your intentions, not necessarily based on a brief or any agreement. Yeah. And you're just waiting, and you're thinking, I, I wish I knew what they wanna. I just can't. You just you wish you knew straight away what they were gonna say. Yeah. And they came back positive. Like literally, the guys said, like, Oh, this is brilliant. It's got strawberry. It feels so fresh. And I'm like. <laughs> God, I've been lucky here. You know, this is this is an interesting one because it could have not could have gone totally the opposite way because they had guy who was doing very much the soulful things like you know kind of like a replica of like blue note record covers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then there was me like <laughs> the odd the odd chick geezer who was um, yeah scanning pictures of strawberries and and yeah it was great. Guy even the guy signed it and took a copy of it away. You know the guy the musician. And 
of course like at that time when you do something like at that beginning a very very beginning of your career you're just so buzzing because any little victory is is, is only the size of an Olympic medal it's just like wow this is great and you stare at your rudimentary piece of work so they feel so lovingly thinking this is great you hold it in your hands and you're like yeah this is this is what I want to do and and I'm glad that that sort of hint of dopamine and satisfaction comes because it really gives you a kick to do more and um yeah, because I was doing slightly different work than the in-house designer or the sort of regular designer. Um, I could use Adobe Illustrator. So they're like, hey, can you design us a logo? <laughs> because the app guy only uses Photoshop. I'm like, wow, okay. I'm just learning here, you know, something about the whole industry or about how people approach their work. And um, yeah, the more of these posters I've done, then they got seen by other establishments around Southampton, got more commissions for restaurants and eateries. Not just the posters. And posters, and then it just started to be sort of menus and flyers and logos and things, kind of like really just serving the entertainment industry from a very, very sort of basic level. But it gave me, I was starting to sort of grow regular clientele. And um, when I was, when I realized that enough is enough in a print shop, because I just couldn't really deal with the nonsense every day of the grumpy man who was just yeah trying to do really quick bad designs and print them on t-shirts and, and just, <laughs> just wave goodbye to it I have decided okay I'm going to go freelance I knew absolutely nothing about freelancing and I was like okay enough is enough I'm going I'm going to work from home um, I've got some clients of course and I'm sure I'll survive and my rent at that time was £40 a week so as you can imagine, I only needed one poster to cover my rent. <laughs> and I have failed. I I had no particular exact sort of skill set I was using. I had no philosophy of where I wanted to go. I, I have had some clientele, but not enough to keep me afloat. I had no website. And yeah, I think within two or three months, I realized that I need to start looking for a job because I was living off my overdraft. <laughs> Luckily, I, when they asked me if, if I wanted an overdraft in a bank, I said yes, and I lived on a £1,500 overdraft for a while. And it gave me a kick up the ass because I knew that what I was working on or what I knew wasn't anywhere near enough to keep me, not to sustain a, the lifestyle or sustain a career. So I was lucky to use my sort of portfolio of flies and posters to get a job in a company that was making just that. They were making flies and posters <laughs> just for more clients. They were more established and they had, they had that sort of framework in place that well, they could do it all day, every day. So I joined that. It's the next growing up, isn't it? So from yeah, so you, you get you get companies that literally just do those buys. And so they would literally, there will be company in Southampton doing flies and posters for pretty much any, any bar in the country because they were also a printing company. So that's where you would go and get your stuff done. And it was great. It was such a le- great learning curve because I started as a junior and I made it to a position of a senior designer in two and a half years because... Right. You could. I get to see everything every day. So any mistake I would make on, in my print file, then I would get to see it in the print the next day. And I would know that that's a mistake not to make again. Or I was working with a really talented senior who was just literally, I just I was just wasn't scared asking questions all the time. So instead of me trying to sort of like, you know, color in some stuff in a corner and be, you know, <laughs> make lots of mistakes, 
I was like, Dan, how do you make this? Dan, what's the minimum point size for this? Dan, what's this? Dan, this, Dan, that. And as you can guess, as a big Alan Partridge fan, <laughs> I got on his nerves because I was just like, Dan, Dan, Dan. <laughs> and, um, but it helped me. It helped me so much. And because- I, think, I think people are scared to ask questions because of it comes across like inferior and not knowing, but people don't take it that way, do they? They take it as, well, genuine interest because they're looking to them well, so. people. I think I've, I've, having been now on the other side of the um, of the equation, I just realised that yeah, people are kind of scared to show their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would have done. I just because I think I was just somewhat sort of I'm trying to was intoxicated by the idea, but I was very much taken aback with everything that was going around. That I didn't feel any sense of shame. I didn't feel like I was going to be found out or anything because. I was there to learn and that was my first and primary sort of objective. So I wasn't, yeah, I was just like, hey, tell me this, tell me that. And, and I'm just, sorry, is it, is, it, is it annoying that I'm asking you all of these questions? And the guy said, no, I'd rather you asking all the questions, but we're not going to get twice as much done than just make all some mistakes and we were behind. So that was, that was very interesting because I didn't feel like I felt, I didn't feel embarrassed to show up my weaknesses mm-hmm. whereas the older I get sometimes you, know, you feel sometimes like you have to keep your I don't know like we try to pretend sometimes that we're not necessarily <laughs> that, that you know, obviously that we know everything or sometimes you, they have to, you kind of sometimes you sometimes it's not okay to show, show your weakness or sometimes it's not okay to say no even though it would be the better answer you know yeah because you've got some sort of um there's sort of perceptions of ourselves that people have for us. So I also have... I was, going to be, I was actually going to be a question I was going to ask shortly. It'd be, have you found... Well, you've just said there that it, it may become more difficult to be like that when, when you get a reputation or you start to get the reputation. Mm, I think it's, it's almost like the mid-stage when you went in, in a stage when you're still proving yourself. Today, I, I'm happily tell people... I don't know this and that, no straight, no straight ahead, and so like I just, I just don't. I'm, I'm just not even being, being dishonest. I just literally, I'm, I'm very honest about what I know and what I don't know, and and I always try to find a way how I can find an answer, even though if it's not, even the answer is that I don't know. But when you're in that mid stage, when <coughs> excuse me, when you know something, and people looking for you for some answers, but they're still not 100% sure if, if you're the right person for the job, then you try really hard to say yes, because you feel like you have to be, you know, the guy who has all the answers because you wouldn't be that person in that job, in that position. And I think, yeah, I see, as I said, from seeing it from the other side of the equation now, when I commission people and you ask them all of the questions, if they can do it, or for example, obviously, you and I, as you know, we all commission skills from people. And you kind of was almost like hiring a, hiring a plumber or hiring someone who's basically good at one thing. And that's what you do. Well, one them from that. And yeah, and people say, absolutely. Oh, yeah, of course I can do this. Only to go away and work it out. Well, in 90% of the situation, it's absolutely fine because that's how we've arrived where we are. But in that 10%, when people say, of course I know, and they tr- totally haven't got a clue. They just waste everyone's time because they could have just said, hey, you know what? Actually, it's okay to pass this on and give it to someone who actually understands because we would be wasting everyone's time you know, and money. And 
it takes a lot of time and an understanding to learn such thing because it doesn't come naturally, <laughs> especially when you try to build regular relationships with clients or design studios and and if especially if you're doing it as a freelancer, you're quite inclined to say yes to quite a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, because you're inclined to chase the cash, aren't you? Absolutely, yeah. Especially like after the situation like I had before when I didn't have a client selling him any money. Uh, when the jobs start coming thick and fast and not all of them are 100% suitable, of course you're going to say yes to absolutely 100% of all of them because you're happy that things are coming to you. But not everything will always be the right fit. And it, it's taken me years and years of learning to say no because some not not one out of 20 will always be not suitable for you if not it'll be project for somebody else and um yeah it's that thing just learning through experience that's what yeah it is. And, and learning as you do and as you do as well yeah totally totally learn as you do is absolutely a new term i came across um through one of the episodes that came out a couple of weeks ago with David Bain, and yeah. I'd never heard of it, and he was talking about when he started doing online stuff, just as sort of the internet was starting to take off, so the late 90s, early 2000s. And he was he was pretty much doing uh, the things that he'd seen or heard of. You know, like, it's similar to just saying yes to everything, but it was for himself. So he was just doing all this thing that he, these things that he knew were possible. Mm. And then it was all to do with search and advertising, things like that. And then Google had come along and just ban it. And he's like, right, well, that worked for so long. Yeah. How can I change that and then adapt it? And that's, that's, how we, that's just things that he did. But the amount of stuff, and especially to today's age, what we can get our hands on, the, well, hitting a few keys on the keyboards, just oh, monumental. It's, incre- it's, it's incredible. I mean, like everything you can, I mean, my mum was by trade, she was a sign writer. So every all the letters, all the things that were written on a board or billboard, they were just you know, handwritten. And they had to commit to an idea to make it happen and that was it. Whereas imagine I mean, how many things, how many things you've changed today by click of a button, you know, and it cost you nothing and saved and it saved you a monumental amount of time. And I think that that's kind of like that's that's a scary approach because almost like when you think about it, it's like it's like a buffet. You can have absolutely everything on, on your plate. You can just go around and put everything on your plate, but it doesn't mean necessarily it's going to make sense. And it's going to make you sick. It's just like, how do you make, how do you just put on the plate just that right amount of stuff that you need that was going to work so nicely and not kind of want you to kind of get more rather than being totally full of, no, of crap and nonsense. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, no, it's just definitely like with, with, with the work that I do now, it's, it's gone to the point where I've understood my work from the outside in, if that makes sense. So I've spent years and years listening to talks and I've read books about neuroscience and you know, biology and behavioral economics. And it's just like, it's just a thing on from the outside in that in, in, inspires and influences my work. And that's, 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 that's what I can now say that I... Even though I haven't got, a, let's say, a design answer, I've got a, a, a scientific answer to a problem because you know you, we are, I try to understand people and I understand ourselves first before it actually comes to the design process because that's what it influences. And when you when you started uh, brand new, is that was that the approach that you wanted to take when you were starting out? Was that that all that sort of knowledge you did that you've just mentioned there was that? 
did you have the intention to throw it all in and that's what you were going to do I had had zero idea Brandy was initially meant to be a club night (laughs) Brandy was (laughs) when I was failing as a a graphic designer as a freelance graphic designer I was still DJing but now this time in, in England and I was doing a night and and I thought literally like, because I was hanging out with other promoters and people who were doing things. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to start my own night and I'll call it brand new. And a friend of mine said like, no one's going to come to a brand called night. Brand, no one's going to come to a night called brand new because you can forget it. Like, oh, it's all brand new. I think there was, literally six months later, even two months later, there was a program on MTV called brand new. And I just thought, okay, well, I like the words. And why is the reason for my design business? Because... I wasn't really paying attention to magazines like computer arts. I was looking at sort of design week and creative review. And there was, as you know, there's all these, or even now you guys, like you're called Hacksaw, you know, like there was just anything that didn't, doesn't have design in it or creative or whatever, you know, is that, that's what was becoming a trend. So I'm like, Hey, I have a design studio called brand new, but it was nowhere near to what it is philosophically now, because it was meant to be just about stuff. And I was just, it was meant to sound nice. Then through design, I was more and more interested in becoming better at what I did. So in my graphic design, I was introducing lots of illustration. Only to the point where I became a commercial illustrator because things were snowballing. I was getting better at it. I was more in, involved and I was more sort of excited about commercial illustration. I ended up doing that. So I wanted brand new to be about that sort of aesthetic. Like it was just meant to be that sort of that batch. Like, okay, this is done by the guy and the company is called brand new or the style is brand new. And it was meant to be all about that. I never really thought that it was going to, it would go all 360 back to the start. And then brand new would become actually about building brands in very fresh and innovative way. You know I mean? That's, that's what it's become naturally in the space of 11, 12 years, 12 years. To, to be that so it's kind of yeah, like, just sit back it's, like, just... it's like a happy coincidence really because it's I mean at, at the moment actually it's perfectly fitting company name for what I do yeah do you ever just sit back and think it's really funny how that's turned out yeah sometimes it's like it's like heaven piercing you know you just you just look at it after 10 years and you're like oh I've still got it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's, that's the same thing I've got piercing in my lower lip and I've had it for 20 years and I just look in the mirror and I'm like oh yeah it's still it yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I do that. I do that. I, I did that not too long ago. Probably the middle of last year. Like just like looking in the mirror and like, oh yeah, I got a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't that amazing? I was I was doing a business. I was what was it? I was just literally just doing my business card the other day. I'm like, oh yeah, brand new. That's my. I should, I should put my company in on this. <laughs> <laughs> it just it just it's a it's 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 a part of the you know, furniture. It's part of your makeup, and it just it just feels so at home that it just. Yeah, just take it as a as an existing part and don't really question it. So, yeah, I know that there's lots of studios like non-format and no pattern and non this and and that. And you kind of like, okay, so they all get reason and they all like started for particular. You know, there was always that particular sort of thinking behind the name. Whereas mine was just like, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I'll use this for now and we'll see where we go. So it also like it also helped me because with my name. Uh, it kind of smoothed out the edges. Uh, people, when people saw brand new, they could sort of easily understand that there's something behind the philosophy rather than try to decipher where my name could be from. So it was quite helpful. Your, your name's Radin. It says that it's got Rad in it. 
Yeah, well, that's the best bit. Like, obviously, I was born rad, but uh, some people think I was born in India. You know, she's like, <laughs> she's like, have you seen my photo? I'm very white. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> so yeah, now I'm glad to have rad in my um, in my in my name. When I see people like James White posting um, snippets on on the internet saying "stay rad," I'm like, yeah, I'll happily oblige. No problem. <laughs> I, I love his stuff. His stuff's on my background on my phone. Is it? Awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, he's a cool guy. I like him. I just, I, I know I'm always waiting. I can't wait to hang out at conferences just to sort of yeah. get a few beers and talk about Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> out. So, how long did it, because just to get on to conferences, mm. that, when you, obviously you spoke, you, you've spoken quite a few, you spoke off a few years ago, you were at Adidas last year and things like that, as well as a lot of others. How, how did those sort of come about? Obviously, that was. Mm well into your brand new days yeah i what were they like did you did you did you apply or did you get called and just think oh look. yeah so yeah that's interesting yeah because i've um i've put on a show in Southampton about 2008 and there was a lecturer who came in and said like, oh lovely work no, no, no. you should come and talk to my students and in 2008 i was like oh wow you know proper ego massage and that lecture never happened and thank god it never happened because i don't know what i would have told him i would have been like really nervous and i remember like addressing a room i was i was doing a magazine at the time and i was addressing a room of like the journals and whatever editors and i was like literally breaking it and and i knew that was something i, I kind of had to work on i had to kind of work on my sort of public confidence because you can be you know, as loud in a pub with your mates as you want to but then you put yourself in an official environment and you go like, oh shit, no, this is this is not right yet. So um, I never really thought about me being on the stage. This is something I wanted to do. I've been to uh, quite a few talks in sort of late 2000s for like Adobe Live and a few others. And they had, they had really high profile speakers with very uninspiring messages. It was always like, you know, like the type of a design talk where it's just like, well, we did this and we got fired, we did that. We got hired and, you know, we did this. And you're like, fuck me, you know, like, what are you telling me? Like, this is, this is not, I never left and never left to go home inspired to do any, any extra work, you know. It was, it was the presentations on retouching that was a lot more inspiring than you know, someone's ego presentation. So I never really thought of it too much. And people said, well, maybe you should not. Why don't you get asked to speak and stuff? And I just never really felt that sort of enticed by it. And a friend of mine, well, Francois Huang from Montreal, who's been a long-term friend of mine, uh, has been putting on together a conference called Montreal Meets. And he gave me a shout for the late 2011 saying, hey, I'm putting on together Montreal Meets. going to be going to have James White and all the other people, like Fabio from Abduzido. Like, hey, do you want to come and speak? And I could not say no, because Francois was my friend. He was giving me the opportunity. He was paying for my trip to Montreal. I've never been to Canada before that. So I'm like, hey, absolutely, let's do this. And I still not really fully understood what a good talk is about. You know, I just still watch some extra design talks and other people are like, so this is what we do. This is what we have done. This is what we're going to do. This is where we are. And I maybe say like, oh, I mean, I'm inspired by this. And I'm like, yeah, right, okay. So I use that as a template and I, was going to write a talk <laughs> uh, for about four or five months. I did my gallery show. In fact, I was thinking about it today. I did a gallery show called The Western Show in 20, early 2012, and it took a lot of my time. 
and I totally like put uh, client work aside at that time. So I was kind of in a, in a strange place because I was trying to head myself in a different direction and I was not fully, I don't, I don't know, I wasn't fully there mentally. I was just like, I was going through, I was that was the first time I totally subscribed to the social media sort of number game. And so I was preoccupied with how many clicks I was getting on Behance and how many clicks I was getting on there. So I was just in this place where all of a sudden I found myself on a plane to Montreal with my missus and thank God she was there because, um, yeah, she was very instrumental in what happened next. I had no talk. Uh, on the plane? On the plane. I still had no talk. I had some ideas. Um, I had, there was a slide saying, um, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but now we'll find out a reason why not. <laughs> yeah. I never became one. And it was, just like, it was just kind of this mess. But luckily, I, I did this talk by just putting slides together of my work. And I was trying to be kind of giving away ideas of why I'm talking about stuff. Like what, what, what you can't see in the pictures. Because I was trying to do this this quick test with the missus in Airbnb in Montreal. And she's like, don't tell me what you think of the work. Never tell me you think it's great. Don't tell me you've done good work and tell me what I can't see in the picture. So I just went on the stage and just ad-libbed my way through the talk. And it happened to be that I had allocated 45 minutes of time and I went for an hour and a half because like, there was no way. And it turned out to be absolutely monumentally successful. It was just so good. I'm like, okay, I want to do this again. But obviously I was very much aware of the fact that I didn't have a good talk and I tried for the next two years. I just did like one or two talks a year and I knew it wasn't right. And I kind of, all, then I realized, and, and kind of that come, became more and more apparent afterwards and now, especially now. When, when I was an ice player, I was an okay one. When I was a musician, I was just about okay. When I was a DJ, I was okay. And I never really kind of put my mind into be actually the best you know like the best I could be yeah and that is with purely with putting the hours in and kind of being really interested in what you do and kind of making sure that you have that trajectory that you get that sort of that sort of that map and a compass and kind of keeping true to your staying true to your true north and kind of heading in that direction and kind of making progress all the time regardless how far you've made it so the same thing applied to my talk I just I just knew I wanted to do something which will people fulfill, you know, will kind of give them an idea of, of my own story, how I ended up to be here and kind of just actually make them interested and excited and inspired to see the world slightly differently because... I think there's, a, there's probably a lot of things that people can just take from what you just said there, is that sitting back, taking stock, realising that you know a lot of what about whatever that is you do. Yeah. I mean, just by walking into the room, nine times out of ten, you're going to be the expert in the room because you're surrounded by people who don't know your industry as well as you do. Exactly. Therefore, that leads you to be the expert. But people never realise that. They just think they're just sort of run of the mill. But if you just, like, like you were just saying, if you're just like, well, I'm just going to be kick-ass at this. So I Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's kind of like, that's been applying to my design career ever since I went freelance again. And this time successfully, I just didn't want to be second, you know, or third in the line. I wanted to be that go-to person. I wanted to be that guy who literally cherishes every opportunity and actually gives it the all, you know, like literally every time 
I treat it like a rock performance, you know. <laughs> Even though I'm not, I'm not smashing my computer at the end of the project, but you know, I'm just like, I just kind of giving it all, like literally, just like like the musicians, really. You know, you you don't question some musicians if they're on the stage for the right reason. You, know? you fucking see it, you know. They're really giving it all. So, I've been to yeah many conferences, watching people to do it badly and do it well, and I'm like. Neither, I didn't just didn't want, I didn't want to do neither of those things. I didn't want to be like another designer to not do doing another designer talk. And you know, what, being a designer, what you want to do, you want to be accepted by the industry, and obviously, you want to do things that are slightly similar to other people, so you know you're doing it right. And you don't want to stand out too much because you think it might be a bit too far. You know, you might be a bit misunderstood. But the more I've been doing this, the more I just literally revel in the idea of just being the odd one out I'm just fuck it I don't really care if it's done yeah. if people if there's a protocol if there's a grade or something I don't really care because I'm me I'm going to do it the best way I can I, I will know that the th things that I do will stick out like myself <laughs> from, from the crowd but that is okay you know I, it, it doesn't matter because I used to be scared of the idea like oh I stand out too much or you know you want to you want to stand for something, but it just it just might be a little bit too aloof to the others, and then you realise well, it actually doesn't matter. Like I'm, well, that's the thing, you know. Everybody, there's always been people who don't like you. But there's, there's on the flip side, there's always been people that do. So why not be yourself to the people that want to like you and crack on, and you can be happy as well. Yeah, because it's just it's just about all that personality. So mm -hmm. what helped me with the talks is that I had to spend a lot a long time working out who I was and what I was what I was standing for, what I was what I, what I wanted to achieve. What was actually my actual philosophy? Because at this stage, and we're talking let's say two or three years ago, I was again in the big washing machine of everything. You know, there was branding, there was illustration, there was web design, there was music videos, there was absolutely all sorts. Which to satisfy my curious mind, this was the best recipe for everything. But to put it in a coherent sentence, I was struggling, you know, because I just, I wasn't necessarily sure where was the sort of the cent central sort of focal point where it was all coming from. So I decided that finally it would be time to write a book. <laughs> and I wasn't again sure what I was going to write. I wasn't necessarily sure like um, how I was going to formulate it. But again, it's as everything is like the observation of what's around you. And well, on, on the flip, on, just to yeah, go back ever so slightly. If you're taking the same, uh, oh, you started off with the same sort of approach to the book as you did your talk. It, you've, you've got to, well, you might not have thought that outside in, you've got to think it's got to work. Because when when I was off in 2014 when you were speaking, I think it was 2014. Maybe couldn't even get into yours. Couldn't even get in. Yeah, I was just blaming on the venue. I don't think I was that popular. All <laughs> oh, right, oh, so, so it, was, it was a shed room. No, no, no. It was it was really small. I mean, I think we. Were... It wasn't that small. No, I mean it was a, yeah, it was about six hundred. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was a room. Obviously, it was, of course it was huge. I just obviously it was not as big as the one downstairs. But it's 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 especially when when things happen this sort of on that stage it just it's it's a big model and things happen really quickly and 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 i've been learning to sort of cherish them but the reason why i decided to write a book because even ever since that first talk in montreal i mentioned a few of my ways of working or ideas how i approach things and people were like afterwards asking so explain it to me again like that's quite interesting like what is it about you know i never heard it before 
And I remember the first the first thing I've ever mentioned in my talk was the rule of the opposite. That I know I stand by the rule of the opposite. They're like, okay, so you try to explain that on the stage, you do, and this is how you approach it, and and I and I knew that that was something I could always elaborate more on. You know, I can tell talk more about this. And the more talks I've done, and the more I actually thought about my work more than doing, it um, transpired that there's definitely a certain sets of rules and, and ideas and philosophies that I apply that kind of create that makeup of what is then put together. And and you gave me the claim to fame in the book. I did indeed, yeah, I did. I think I, I was thinking about that before we started talking. I think, and it's only a think, I think I've had another claim to fame. I don't really think it is. I'm, I met Patrick Stewart once. Oh, wow. But I've never been published. You've never been published. You've never had a name in the thanks and acknowledgement section in a book. No, thanks for the thanks for having a beer with me. <laughs> exactly, that that's the section. But no, the book. I mean, literally, I just I just needed to sit down. Well, not necessarily. I even had that much time to sit down. But I just literally just I needed to put it down to paper and just kind of explain to myself what is this all about and what does it stand for. And it really helped me greatly because you can be writing talks about how amazing your like, latest project was or how amazing you know your design career has been. But I realized that I don't approach it from that perspective anymore. You know, when I was commercial illustrator, the first thing I would do on, on, on receiving of a brief, I would go straight into Photoshop and just start messing about and hoping that yeah. something would click together. Whereas now I spend 20 hours of waking time thinking about stuff before I even open my room and start my computer. And I just, I just try to explain myself what is going on, what's the, what's the view of the project, like what can I do, like put a mood board together, you know, start making some sketches and then even start putting something together. And that, it really, I think that's that, that's that again, that turning point in design, designer's career where you talk more about design and you try to understand the whole reason and meaning of design rather than just gone haplessly, you know? <laughs> yes, go much deeper than the surface level and find Absolutely, out. Absolutely, because, because you really like, you go from the cake dressing into actually making the cake, you know, you're making the recipe and try to improve it. Because, yeah, there is a lot, especially like for the new guys. It must be quite crazy to think how much options we've got, you know? Yeah. See, like now everyone's a specialist in lettering, then there's all the guys who are specialists in 3D, and there's animation guys, and there's these guys, and and they come in masses, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just incredible amount. And you just feel like you have to be amazing at something, well, right up, not straight out of the gates. And that feels quite scary because... Can you imagine what it'd be like for you now starting again? What would you, what would you think, do you think? Yeah. I think, shit, where do I start? Yeah, again, I think, yeah, because I was lucky because there was one particular aesthetic 10 years ago, 15 years ago, which was quite popular, which was like this Photoshop collage. And... And I did it quite naturally. I just kind of fell into it. And it kind of caught on that wind of that trend quite successfully, which helped me. I mean, obviously, it helped me establish myself, but I don't do that thing anymore, you know. Like, let's go back to Incubus, you know. They were playing new metal, would you say, or funk metal or whatever that would be. Yeah. They don't play that anymore, but that was something that... Made me- I listened to that Fungus Among Us to, um, what's the latest album called? Uh, was it um, our side A was it if not now when if not now when yeah you compared us to and that completely you think it was a different band yeah uh, but I love them equally you know absolutely yeah. love them equally I just it, it's it's you know you would not expect them to do the same thing and that's the same with the career like, I mean something that let's say established me in industry is by no means anything that I do right now I don't even have time or patience for it but I keep keep going you know that that's the thing and you kind of feel I remember like that 
conscious transition that you have to go after what you want. Mostly, you have to kind of bear in mind, you have to live and breathe for what you want because if you take your eyes off the prize, you never really, you know, you kind of, you lose, you kind of, lose, you lose yourself on the map. And, and I remember kind of just always going that I wanted to progress with the work. So that was always like a sell by date to a particular idea, a particular style, because it was naturally leading into something else. And that was the same, like when I felt like I'm going to leave illustration as a sort of the main point of sale, if that makes sense and go back into design and do more branding and kind of focus on web and other things and strategy and, and, and other things like advertising. It felt like I was literally like letting go, like, you know, when you're sort of clinging onto something for your dear life and you're like, okay, I'm gonna let go because everything's gonna change. And it's ever so important because you actually push yourself and actually challenge yourself again. Because I, I tend to ask people that what, well, my guests on the podcast, what, well, the biggest thing that they, they feel would benefit somebody going through the same thing. And we, I, I think you've covered that quite a few times. Like, ne- don't, don't let things get stagnant and always progress. Would you say that that's probably one of the biggest things up there? Yeah, I think, I, I think, I think there's, no, there's no, like, early destinations. You don't arrive in your final destination on day two or year two or, you know, year ten. I think there's always another, literally like everything that you do is almost like a stop on a bus journey. Like it's just, it's just, it's just constant, constantly going. And the requirements of what you create as a designer or, or, or creative, like it, it will always change. I mean, the technology around us doesn't stay stagnant, you know, the politics, banking, finance, you know, there's food, you know, it's just, it all changes. Like it's just, it never stays stagnant. I mean, North Korea, maybe, you know, you'll be fine there if you don't want to do much. But the world moves, the world keeps on spinning every day and I think that's what we should do because I just, I just, I haven't met that many people who'd be happy just to do one thing over and over again and just say, well, it's done, you know. And yeah, there are, there's a handful of questions that I tend to ask people and this is mm. like the last one I'm coming up to and I already know the answer but I'm going to ask it anyway. And so, we've got to, we've gotten to today, we've gotten to we got to rad him today. Mm. Out of everything that you've done that's led you today, led you to where we are, was every single point of it worth it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every high and every low was worth it. I actually happened to do another interview just before this one. It was only like a written one. And you know when people say, oh, if I could do this all over again, I would have done it differently or I'd pay more attention to this and pay more attention there. And I'm glad that every little fuck up, every mistake, every little idea that spontaneously like not acted upon. I'm glad I did it, you know? I, I've, I could have been, I mean, I, I started my design career technically at the age of 24. At today, there'll be some 20, there'll be guys on, on Instagram who'll be 20 and they'll have like, I don't know, 1.2 million followers. And it's kind of like, where do you go next? Because they just build their, you know their business or their profile on one doing one thing only and just like I'm now at a stage where I have had enough time to get the party party animal out of my system and I've been to every gig I've ever wanted to be I've done all the things that I wanted to do before I could actually move on to to the next chapter so today I'm a a proud new dad I've got a nine month old baby and I'm actually happy doing what I do now because I can actually focus on this and try to be the best dad ever 
and try to run a business where I can actually still enjoy it. You know, I don't, I don't want to sort of give into things and like, okay, well, I have to change my lifestyle because I'm a parent or I have to change my lifestyle because my work is this and that. I still want to have that level of freedom and just by doing so many different things and having such a sort of fragmented background, that gave me the view that whatever happens next, I don't really care what it is, but I'm sure it's going to be really amazing because, yeah. you know, you can give it a best shot and then just start over again and just see how far, how much further you will get at that, that time again. Couldn't say better myself. I wish it was well. I, I wish it was said well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, but uh, how, how can people get in touch with you and see what you, you're up to at the minute? Uh, they can call me on my mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Day and night. I'll just grab my phone. Oh seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, our baby's teething at the moment, so there's nobody sleeping in the house, which is okay. Um, um, no, I'm I'm very much a believer of having a strong website. Um, so that's online at brandnew.co.uk. Uh, I believe in owning my own traffic and kind of giving the right snapshot of what I do. So somebody said somewhere like, "Oh, you only need ten projects on your website." I've got a thing about. I don't know, 60 different unique URLs of projects that are online because I like to show what it's been about. You know, some people like to keep it small and neat, but I like to sort of go to town and show variety and the diversity. Um, I do partake in the social media rat race. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, volunteering do no, occasional <laughs> abuse, abuse and snapshots of my life. I think I posted a picture of my odd socks on Instagram moments today. Just like, why not? I did, and then there's the dog that pops up every Yeah, dog. Now uh, I've kept the baby fairly private. I mean, I just don't you know. <laughs> I, I think I've given people enough suffering for posting pictures of my dog for the last three years. Um, but no, it's just things like even like those socks. You know, I just I bought, I'm, I'm a big fan of odd socks or wearing odd socks, shall I say, grammatically. And I just got like 10, 15 pairs of, of different colors, and I'm thinking of making like a animated stop motion film out of it because it's just something that I want to do and I'm going to pitch it to the company who makes the socks and I'm like, hey, do you actually want to advertise because your advertising is really rubbish? <laughs> and, and if it wasn't for a Christmas present, I would have never known that you existed. But it's just like, it's just these little things. So, yeah, yeah beware. As an Instagram follower, you might be seeing a, uh, stop animations of my old socks. <laughs> um, also, we mentioned that earlier, I... Um, I'm a proud, uh, can I say author? I guess I am because it's on the paper. It's published. And it's, it's a bestseller on Amazon. So, yeah, um, I've got a book out called Book of Ideas, which was forementioned, and it can be bought from Amazon or directly from my site. And um, yeah, it's beautifully packaged, beautifully printed, if I may it say so myself. It says up as well. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a follow-up. I want to release the next book two years from the publishing date of the first one, so March 2018 is hopefully going to be Book of Ideas Volume 2. Can't wait. I'm working on, working on myself. And I've also been asked to write a book for a famous... Um, well, I guess I can say famous because it's doing quite successfully. Uh, there's a range of... Um, uh, uh, not self-help, but there's a range of design books and uh, industry books, and they want me to write a title about illustration. So uh, Very good. Um, so, yeah, that might be coming up in 2018 as well. But... Um, Meantime, there's, there's, I've got a new blog on the side, which I'll be volunteering some new uh, material on. And just, yeah, see where it all takes me. Yeah. Randy, thanks very much. It's been, uh, it's been great to chat. Awesome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
And that's it for this episode of The Turning Point. As ever, I've been your host, Daniel Moore, and our guest today has been Radim Malinich. Remember, together we can make one of life's biggest hurdles 